we're back. Round two of our World Cup previews, where we will look at groups C and D. Eric Alcantar here with Emmett McConnell, and we're here to talk all things World Cup. Going to go through group C and D like I mentioned, so let's not waste any time, right? Yeah, let's get into it right now. Are you practicing a new accent? Right, no, this is me talking normal. Let's get into it right now. What are we waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> waiting for your nonsense to stop. Oh, yeah, wait. we're starting we're with be group here a while. C here. Yeah, that's right. We'll start with Le Blues from France. We talked about Spain in the last show having a stacked team, and France are pretty much just as powerful, I think, position by position. I think the difference being that France's best players are definitely more on the attacking side of the ball. And there have been a lot of questions about France's ability to defend. Yeah, I mean, I mean the back line and Tudy and Varane are what we look at as like the kind of the defending partners to PK and Ramos over at Spain, uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona. So this is funny how those things happen, huh? Yeah. So I mean, the the less experience on both sides, but also probably physically the the more adept as well. Uh, I think the one thing France has going for it is also it's a bit more direct, a little bit more pace up top. A uh, lot of pace if you play them in FIFA. My personal choice on this new FIFA update. Uh, I mean, like the, the likes of Mbappe and Griezmann uh, will go right at you and have no problems about doing it. It's true. Uh, they they can take you on. They can get in behind. So that's going to be something that they have. That I think I think Spain is going to kind of kill you, pass you to death. Was France is going to they're going to be all over beat you. your door down? Huh? Yeah. I mean, we saw against the U.S. <laughs> Spain will at least knock first. Yes, yeah, they have the courtesy to knock first. I mean, we saw against the U.S. They had like twenty something shots. I think we can expect that to happen pretty often with France in the World Cup. Their attack is simply frightening. So, you know, you mentioned that you had the likes of Kylian Mbappe, Antoine Griezmann, who apparently is holding a press conference tomorrow about what he's going to be doing in the future. I don't like that kind of... I mean, I like that... I'm it's not, over it. I like that it's not hanging over his head going into the World Cup. Where will, it, where will he go? Where won't he go? But I also should don't like... Should he stay or should he go? I've got a Clash fan over here. But I also don't like that... On the, I, I think I'd, it'd be better for him to hold off till after the World Cup if this is a, a transfer announcement. It better not be. Um, I would be upset. If if he decides to stay, he should stay. I think this is a good announcement. It's a good time as any. Yeah. I don't know why he needed the press conference though. No, I, it's a little bit silly. I think I think it just <sighs> this it whole makes team it a, is a bunch of divas. I mean, that, and that's been their problem in the past. That's why I've been I've said it before. They're probably the second most likely team <laughs> to implode to implode after who's, Italy. I was gonna say who's number one? Who's, who's already out? Italy's already done it. So I was gonna say England. I don't. England has got England, a lot of egos. England, yeah, but they're just not that good. <laughs> true. Eng- true. It's the Mexico complex. Yeah, they the, think the they ego think of a really giant, good, and then they just they perf- they can perform exactly to standards and fall out, and everyone. Well, cries. we'll get to Mexico and everybody else's inferiority complexes. Uh, you know, let's talk about their midfield a little bit. You got an absolute unit in N'Golo Kante. My God, <laughs> the creative and often maligned Paul Pogba, and then you have the likes of Blaise Matuidi and Steven Nzanzi, who both of whom are pretty gifted players on both sides of the ball. So it really, I think it's just the back line that's questionable because you know both fullbacks, Sidibe and uh, Benjamin Mende. 
they both spent some time injured, particularly Mendy, who made just eight appearances for Manchester City this season. I think if either of them set, suffer setbacks, it could be an interesting uh, moment where you see Lucas Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard, who are both 22 years old, having to step in, largely untested at this kind of stage for France. Absolutely, though I do want to mention that it's not like Sidibe and uh, Mendy are that old either. Mendy, I think, is 23. Um, True. He, he's pretty young, but he's immensely talented. Um, going back to that midfield, it's it's strong, but it is all linked together by Conte. Pogba's kind of a little bit of an individual out there. He's got immense talent. He's going to be the guy who's going to link up the forwards. Matuidi is going to be the guy who makes the runs between the lines, opens up space for the forwards, and Conte's the guy who kind of cleans up. So they do kind of every one of everything there. Uh, if one piece isn't working, though, the other pieces kind of can't do you know, what they're great at. If everyone's doing their job, this midfield is, you know, tough to follow. Yeah. So, you know, friendlies are just friendlies, right? We talked about that in the last show. The fact that France were not great against the U.S. does give me some pause, some cause to pause. You figure Australia and Denmark are probably going to play, look to play the way a similar way that the U.S. did. Ian Dark, like, hammered that point home the whole time. Australia, almost identically. They're pretty similar teams. Australia will definitely be playing some kind of ridiculous defensive formation. Uh but, I mean, they're just going to look to try to hit on the counter. It's easier said than done, obviously. But the U.S. were able to do it with just a bunch of young players with really all the only motivation they had was just having something to prove. So, I don't know, this time, though, France will be facing veteran players laying it all on the line. I mean, this is it for them. Who have everything to prove. Exactly. Everything more. Uh, but then again, France will also be trying their best. They'll know it's on a friendly. They'll know it's the World Cup. Could that, does that, uh, you know motivate them and make them try harder or is that going to be caused to implode we'll see uh, can Didier Deschamps get them together yeah I, I don't I do think this is a team that could make a run in the playoffs uh, the playoffs ooh, in the World Cup <laughs> oh my god so I I don't think Ouch. this is as likely to implode as, as past teams yeah but I still think it's one of the more likely in, in the tournament they, they have so I mean you look at the likes of even in the midfield kind of something we didn't mention Quarantine Tolisso someone that people yeah. have been fans have been demanding to play, especially at their USA game. Someone we might see making an impact, if especially people start getting tired of the injuries happen. Are you trying to say that Corton Toliso's heading to Montreal? It's possible. Remy Gardner's <laughs> all the help he can get, but we are not yet on the MLS segment. Oh, goodness. Well, let's move to Australia. We'll talk about how they got here. They've been a staple of the tournament in some sense, I would say. They've been in every World Cup since 2006. And that said, this one was pretty rough on their part. We talked about Saudi Arabia not exactly being impressive. Australia had about the same amount of points in qualifying and had a worse goal difference. So they had to go into the playoff of the Asian playoff to just get into the Inter-Confederation playoff. And as I you watch that replay, Nestor Patana has blown the full-time whistle. And Australia have done it. Sums up the and it's taken 884 days, 22 games, and an awful lot of soul-searching along the way. But Australia are going to their fourth consecutive World Cup Finals. So they fired two managers in getting here. And now I'm not really sure what kind of style we should be expecting. Remember in 2014, they came out of the gates kind of taking the game to Chile and the Netherlands, which was you know relatively impressive at the time. We all were kind of surprised to see the Socceroos, which is, by, I think, my favorite country nickname, by the way. Because it takes the great name of soccer and brings it back <laughs> to the world. I mean, everyone makes fun of the U.S. for having it, but Australia does it. And look at the powerhouse they are. <laughs> yeah, absolute powerhouses. They're there and we're not. Uh, they're actually one of only two continental champions in the tournament. 
having won the Asian Cup in 2015. The other being Portugal. Yes, nailed it. Technically, uh, you can consider Mexico too, since there's two Gold Cups. But but Gold Cup is oh, hey, the most recent one was the U.S. Yeah, and that's not true. Here, so uh, and then Chile in South America. Yep. So, uh, but let's get into this uh, this, this team here and look what they have. I th- I think what we're looking at is yes, a very much a team that is not that talented, all things considered. They yep. haven't had a lot of time with Co- uh, their manager Bert Van Marwick, and nice pronunciation. Yeah, I think it's Marvik. <laughs> okay, well, I'll give it to you. Vike. I'll give it to you Mar-Vik. regardless. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We we're pretty close. Um, but we do have to kind of point out that they do have some player, some talent in that squad. First and foremost up top, Tim Cahill, of course, <laughs> who this year is looking to be... Who's the, an absolute tank. Yeah, absolutely. He's like five foot nine, but jumps over everybody. He is, I think if he scores this World Cup, he'll be one of only... Four players to score in four World Cups. It's quite uh, the record to have, especially for a country like Australia, where qualifying has never been a guarantee. Yeah, puts him in the likes of Pele. Um, so, so he's he's I getting. Can, I hope he scores then, because I want that trivia question to be like that. The thing, yeah, I mean, yeah, sixteen years of scoring at the World Cup. It's incredible. Really I, is. I think Closa is one of the other ones. Like, and these are guys playing in top countries, Brazil and Germany. And we have Cahill at the Socceroos of Argentina. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Also world-class. Or Australia. <laughs> um, but w- the question then is, it's, it is his fourth World Cup. Can they rely on him? I don't think so. I, don't, I think you'll see him as a super sub. I don't know that you'll see him in the starting 11. Uh, here's the thing. They do have some things behind them going for them, too. Because, look, you imagine, like we said, they're going to bunker and they're going to try to play on the counterattack. Matthew Leckie and Robbie Cruz are very big factors for that because they are pacey guys. They're fast guys up top. They do have some talent. Yeah, they do. Now, Cruz has only scored five times for the Socceroos and only twice in the last three years. So he's kind of going through a bit of a – and when I say a bit, I mean a lot of a drought. So can you rely on him to score? Maybe not. But, I mean, sometimes you don't need the pacey guys to score. You just need them to get the ball forward and get it to somebody else who does. Yeah, Tim Cahill, hopefully. But, I mean, they do – Probably all- Jurek, to be honest, would be starting up top. Most likely. Um but these are fast guys, guys who can hit you on the counter, which is going to be the strength of this team. Right, um, if, they, if you would say they have any. Because, frankly, look, let's be honest here. We're, we're going to play them up a little bit because we're trying to be objective about what their strengths are. The reality is their strengths are very limited. Uh, yeah, but we, we do look. They have Mild uh, Yedinak. From, uh, he's on a uh, player for Aston Villa. Defensive midfielder Bruiser, by all accounts. Guy's an absolute house. <laughs> he, <laughs> what he, kind he, of house? Two-story, three-story? Mansion. Mansion. He's, he's a big bruiser, not that technical on the ball. How many acres? One. It's, just, it's okay. Okay. It's a decent set of plot. <laughs> he, he's nothing too special, but he, he but he is a big guy. He's going to be that guy that is going to be absolutely imperative to link up that defense and protect. Uh, if he kind of goes missing, they're going to get exposed in the back, and there's not much that those guys can do against the likes of France. Um, the last thing I think that to point out is Matthew Ryan. Goalkeeper at Brighton, who's back there, considered one of the better goalkeepers. Great, good, very good goalkeeper. He's going to be heavily relied on. I think so too. And Aaron Moy, we yeah. can't forget uh, the creative power, the creative powerhouse, Huddersfield Town, who did stay up this year. <laughs> yeah, he he really impressed he the Premier League this year. And he'll he's used to the style of play for sure. Yeah, and I mean, we we talked about where these goals are going to come from. Is it going to come? Is Lecky and Cruz going to be able to get these goals? The only chance they're really going to have to do anything is if they can connect with Moy and he can kind of be that creator who facilitates them. Because I think on their own, against Mendy and Sidibe, of France specifically, they're going to, they're, those, those are pacey defenders too. They're not just going to be able to outrun those guys. They're going to yeah. need to 
you know, something, catch them. You need something special for Moy. Yeah. If, you know, that's going to be the big playmaker for them. I suppose we'll see on that front. Uh, Tommy Jurek, I think, will also need to do his part unless he wants to end up on the bench behind 38-year-old fossil Tim Cahill. Who, uh, listen, I'm pulling for him. I, I want him to get that that that, uh, that goal. We so he's always due for one. There's one last thing. They're also dream killers. Winning the AFC playoff against Syria to advance the Inter-Confederation playoff. After all they've Shucks. been to. I know. Come on, just give it to them. Let all them right. go through. Seriously. We're on to Peru now. They were also involved in a World Cup Inter-Confederation playoff. They had the easier draw, I'd say, getting a New Zealand side who will likely be the biggest beneficiaries of the expanded tournament in 2026. Era posible, Ramón. Era hoy. No nos iba a aguantar Nueva Zelanda. Lloran los jugadores. Se abrazan todos dentro de la cancha. La gente celebra en las tribunas. Vuelve Perú a un Mundial después de 36 años. It's a shame I can't get more like that. And also understand. Now I, I know Spanish, so I understood that. But like when the, when I have to find ones in like Croatian and Arabic, I, I kind of wish I could understand them. The only the only cling I close is like salas, and that's just because it means the guy's yelling the same word over and over again. Yeah, you can recognize that. The, the raw emotion. Yeah, it's just so cool to listen to. But there's something in common. These are all teams that don't always make it to the World Cup. Sure, they don't take it for granted. They don't take it for granted. They're they're smaller countries. Um, don't tell us soccer wise, at least. Oh. Don't tell that to Peru. Soccer-wise, at least. This, uh, I mean, this team's last loss was against Brazil, November of 2016. I mean, yeah, but when was a lot? They haven't been in the World Cup for a long time. Well, I'm know? just, I'm so, just saying, I, they wouldn't consider it, themselves a small team right now. Uh, no, right now, and I, I think that's, um, that's, that's awesome for them because they have, I mean, they have like the government behind them, the people are behind them doing all of this. It's good when you can get the government behind you. Yeah, that's that's when you know things are going well. Um, <laughs> I mean, credit where credit's due, they did oust Chile. The last who held uh, ooh, won the last two Copa Americas, Copa Americas final of the Confederations Cup. Yeah, uh, it was really their golden generation, to be honest. And this is like their last time. Their players are all kind of between twenty nine and thirty two, or thirty four even. Uh, not many of them are gonna, probably going to see another World Cup. So this was kind of their last shout. Peru needed. I mean, they have something special. If they can kind of dethrone someone like that. I know you know Chile wasn't great, but we look at some of the players that Peru has. Um, Paulo Guerrero up top, of course, the first one we're going to mention. He's getting off a little bit lucky here. I don't know if uh, lucky is the best word. Lucky, but I, look, here's it's the good thing. for Peru. His circumstances were messy at best. You're yeah. talking about a situation where a player was suspended for cocaine in his system. I'm all right with that. If you're not allowed, to, if you're you know you're drug tested, and you're not allowed to have those drugs in your system, I'm I'm all right with that. It doesn't matter where he got it. You're responsible for what you're putting in your body at the end of the day. That said. The World Doping Agency are the reason that he was going to be suspended for this because they thought he should be punished more. And I think to myself, what does the World Doping Agency have to do with a player getting caught with trace amounts of cocaine in his system? Nothing. That's not a performance enhancer. Would you consider it doping? No. I consider it dope, but not doping. Oh, my goodness. You see my point. No, I do. It's It's ridiculous. I feel like they're kind of the... It's absurd. They're kind of the watchdog for... um, Steroids. It's a little. It's, non, it's nonsense. Yeah, I'm glad he's in it. I don't think you ever want a star player like this to be absent, even if you're on the other team. You yeah, want... even the other captains came out and like wrote a letter to FIFA asking for him to be reinstated. 
you don't want those what ifs hanging over. And so it's really good to have him there. He isn't exactly young at 34. No. Um, but I mean, even even with that, he's just so important to the team that you know everyone rallies he's around him. 34 goals. Yeah. For Peru wearing that jersey, behind him, Edison Flores, who I think may be a pick to break out during this tournament. He's a hardworking player who can put in a good pass and also put in a good tackle. Also, Raul Rudy Rudy Rudiez, man, that should not have been that difficult. Rudiez, yeah, prolific striker, Liga Mackey. So I've seen play a few times myself, and for Morelia, and he's an absolute monster. One of the better strikers I think on the entire continent. So the rumor has it he's actually on his way to Seattle for top ten league money for DP money. Yeah, DP money, and they could absolutely use a striker. So this makes sense, and if it's true, I do think that their attack is probably. One of the lesser known, but probably more dangerous features. Um, other guys like Andre Carrillo and Jefferson Farfan are just pure pace. Right. Farfan, probably not so much anymore. He's been around forever. He's 33. Uh, but Andre Carrillo, play at Watford, didn't really get that much time, but is a fast player. I think that no matter what happens, that are, the front combination is going to... Yeah, and not to mention Renato Tapia and Yoshimar Yotun, who you know we've seen Yotun's praises all the time on this show. He is he's a phenomenal player, and both those guys are in that kind of similar mold where you know they can track back and they can hold the defensive line in front of the defensive line, but then they can also put in some quality passes up front. So they'll complement each other well. You would think they're just going to have to keep in in line. You know, can't have both of them rushing up on the field at the same time. And I think we've kind of talked about what France is going to go up against with it kind of sitting back and defending. I don't think Peru's going to go. Peru's for that. not. Peru's not going to. They're, do they're that. not the they're, team. They're very sit disciplined back. team, but they're not going to just sit back and let let them hammer them. No, I mean I don't think they're going to be playing exactly a super high press and winning the ball back immediately. But I I mean it's possible France has a, the, a decent chunk of possession, but I'm not expecting this Peru team to sit back, defend, and absorb pressure to counterattack. Even though they have the you know the pieces to do that, they have the pace. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll move on then to Denmark, last team in the group. They were involved in a UEFA playoff against Ireland. The first leg ended nil-nil. As Only teams poor head- heart. Oh, I know, buddy. I'm sorry. As the teams headed to Ireland, where the Irish took an early lead before Denmark scored, stormed back to win 5-1. Here is Christian Eriksen's second goal that put them up 2-1. I'm not 100% sure what language that is in. Oh, that one hurt. I don't know if that's Danish. I don't know Danish well enough. <laughs> I don't know if that's Danish. I don't. It sounds kind of Portuguese. It's if, definitely not Spanish. If but you're listening to this, this is Danish. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, if not, I'm sorry, but it's all I could find. Uh, they've got a fairly mixed bag of players from across Europe. Of course, I think it all comes down to really Christian Eriksen. He's a talisman for the team, and as he goes, they'll go. Safe to say? Yeah. I mean, the guy... I don't want to marginalize anybody, but... I mean, I, he's almost like... A, like an absolute star who almost gets overlooked over and over. Uh, I He could be... I mean, I think he's a top 10 player in this tournament. Um, a great creative force. Great shot. Can score goals. Can get assists. It's, it's all going to be him. He's the heartbeat of this team. But that's not to say that the rest of the team is... Like, you know, nobody's. Yeah, you know, you got Pione Sisto playing at Celta Vigo. It's so exciting to watch. I mean, like, he's... He's due for something big. Yusef Poulsen at Red Bull Leipzig, you know, fine player in his own right. Both young, uh, energetic, 
high intensity they're, players. They're going to bring something to the attack, and they're not going to. Christian Eriksen will not be on an island most of the time. Although we've seen Denmark's struggles have come when no one else is really producing, and when they can't get the ball to Christian Eriksen, things tend to go really awry, and that seemed to happen to Ireland. Ireland seemed to let him have a ton of space, and ended up absolutely getting them yeah, destroyed. Punished him. But, I mean, uh, Yusuf Poulsen does run into the problem of kind of being wasteful in front of goal and kind of going missing. Uh, but they do kind of have options otherwise. I mean, Victor Fisher, the kind of young prodigy that just didn't go anywhere. I don't know how much time he'll get this time. But Martin Braithwaite, uh, Michael Crondelli did a really great World Cup last time around. So he's not without help in the attacking portion of the field. But um, I, I, this is probably going to be another team that's probably going to sit a little bit deeper against France in the group. Yeah, maybe and not against the other teams. They'll probably try to take it to. They have they have good enough defensive players, but I, I know what you mean right. They can take they could take it to a, a Peru, perhaps. Yeah, they in could, Australia for sure. They'll definitely take it to Australia. They could take it to Peru. Um, they're not exactly fast in the back. Yeah, no, they're not. They're, but they're big. I definitely don't know Andreas Christensen for his speed. You know, if he can, but if Christensen can regain his form from earlier in the season with Chelsea, he's going to anchor that back line. He's very talented. And I. I I would keep an eye on, uh, in, in my mind, the, the biggest player in this back line is Simon Kerr, uh, center back for uh, Sevilla, who's been really important for them the past few years. And wherever he's really been, he's kind of been an anchor. Those two together is not a bad combo. If they can be in sync. Yeah. I mean, I mean, listen, this is just a, a, a group of just big, you know. <laughs> just scans, wait until we get to Serbia. Big Scandinavian defenders. Yannick Vestergaard, uh, who plays in Germany. Like... Um, if someone doesn't step up, I think outside of Kier, they, there's someone else who can step in and be just as much of a force back there. And they're going to need everything from those guys to allow Ericsson and the rest of those forwards to kind of find space. All right. Well, there you go. So, prediction time. Who's going through? Who you got winning the group? I, I'm going to go for the wild card here. Because I've been I've been mentioning that I think France is a team that could implode. It's possible. I think Peru wins the group. Wow! Big time call. Here. So you're thinking Peru? Peru? I'll, I'll, they'll probably beat Australia. Per, I think Peru is going to beat Australia. Get off to a good start. Denmark plays France first. I think it's going to be a draw. I think Ooh. France are going to get frustrated. Uh, I think France is going to come away with maybe four points and come away as a second place team. Uh, so I got Peru first. France second. There's, there's always one dark horse team that makes it to that nobody expects. Don't think it's Costa Rica this year. Yeah, I don't my, think my so either. Not after the, what, not what do you, who do you have? My money. So you have uh, Peru, Peru and then and, France. And Peru and second. France. Okay. Uh, I will flip that. I, I still think France is way too talented not to win this group. I think they will smash Australia. I think they will be able to, to, to break down Denmark and inevitably beat them. And then I think that whatever happens in that game against Peru will be relatively meaningless because I don't see Peru being able to also get six points from their matches against Australia and Denmark. But I do think Peru has enough to get past Denmark and Australia and get into second place. It's, I mean, listen, it's it's not exactly like, I mean, it's a pretty bold take from, I mean, if I'm being honest on myself. I, 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 yeah, I mean, look, it, France is by far and away the, the favorite because at the end of the day, you look at that lineup and you say, there's just no reason they shouldn't. Top the two, group. three teams in the tournament. Exactly. I think, in every books. position, every, there's very little players on either of the other three teams that you would say would go into the France side. There's just no room for any of them. No, I, I, I 100% agree, but so, sometimes when you're in these tournament formats, it's not exactly about that. I think they're going to push forward. Con- the big thing is Conte. Conte can hold that team together. That's but he's such a but one of the I wouldn't call it a criticism, but one of the things that they say about him is that he while he is a leader on the field, the reality is he's a silent leader, and silent leaders can only do so much. He's not a very vocal yeah player. Um, 
But that back line, if it gets exposed, they get get too far forward. I mean, we saw that U.S. goal kind of come out of nothing. I, th- I think those are, in do- are the due. I mean, Hugo Lloris hasn't exactly been... You, Lloris should definitely save that ball. And I know we talked about it already, but yeah, absolutely. So... I mean, this this is this. I don't know if I want to say long shot, but I, I, my prediction no, is Peru. Fran, France is going to just barely make it out, but Peru is going to be my dark horse this tournament. Sounds good. We move on to Group D: Argentina, Iceland, Croatia, and Nigeria. We will start with Argentina. They had a quite the qualifying campaign, if I do say so myself. Lionel Messi stepped away from the team for a little while, then came back. They lost two Copa America Cup finals, and they were on the verge of missing out on the World Cup entirely going into the last match day against Ecuador. But, of course, who else but Messi stepped up and had a legendary performance. Here is the clip right before the final whistle and then directly afterwards from the Argentine announced team. Argentina. Va a ser enorme, histórico e inolvidable el partido de Messi. Después de tanta angustia, sufrimiento y de tantas pavadas. Cuestionen desde lo futbolístico, muchachos. Hubo tanto para pegarle, pero no. Es fácil hablar de lo extra futbolístico porque de fútbol, de fútbol no entienden nada. Se va a terminar el partido. 49 minutos. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Sí, sí, sí. Argentina. It's nice to hear kind words about Messi from Argentina. They can be very mean to him. And let's not turn this into a discussion as to why Argentine people sometimes hate Messi, but I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling sometimes, isn't it? I mean, yeah, he steps away, the team struggles, and he decides. Whatever, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna turn, put it on my back. He puts it, puts the team on his back. I, it's kind of an overused saying, but, but how else did it. do you describe him just get dragging Argentina, kicking and screaming into this, <laughs> into this World Cup? And the reality is, look, that that might be what happens in this tournament as well, because they have Messi, right? And we're so used to talking about Argentina, perhaps among the top tier of teams in terms of talent at each position. The reality is, most of their talent now is focused in the front line, and a lot of their other positions have become a little bit weaker since the last time we saw them in an international competition. So there's other guys like you know Paulo Dybala, Angel Di Maria, Sergio Aguero, and Gonzalo Higuain. But what do all those guys have in common? They're attackers. Not only are they attackers. But other than yep. Di Maria, who has had some pretty good stints with Argentina in his time, the other three have struggled to play alongside Messi for reasons that I don't, I just don't get. They have, they have underachieved their entire careers as Argentina players. Dybala is a little younger, so we can give him a little bit more of a pass. But the reality is, he also needs to be held accountable because I mean, he's the same type of player, right? Why does Messi have to do it all? They're, it's almost like they're all afraid to do anything. And on the other side, it's almost like. It's a glut of star players who... A lot in, of big egos, for sure. Who, like, want to be that guy. Gonzalo Higuain is that goal scorer wherever he goes. Uh, Di Maria is a creator, a runner. Less so, I think, for him, but Aguero is the goal scorer. Dybala, um, I think maybe less so. When, when him and Higuain are on the field, it's usually it's usually one or the other scoring. The other right. one's kind of going missing. Uh, but... but for me, it's not going to be the forward line. I know there's so much criticism for some of those kind of abysmal misses that have happened from Higuain. Shocking. In the past. Yeah. But I, I think more of this is going to come down to the midfield. Because when we look at this back line, 
Nicholas Otamendi, kind of their best defender in the middle uh, at center back, is flawed. People get He makes mistakes. People get around him. Um, and we saw a, a decent amount at City, mostly because he just gets isolated. You just don't want to isolate him. He, he was strong in Spain uh, when he played in Spain at Valencia because he didn't get isolated, and they played as a unit. Uh, which brings me to Fazio, another guy, big, slow defender, but he's good in the unit. Right. So these are guys that are going to need help from their midfielders like Lucas Biglia to to get to not be isolated. If they get isolated, this is a team that can get pulled pulled apart. Their back line is by far not the strongest suit of this team. And in the past, it's never really was. But I think now more than ever, there's a lot of concern about what's going to happen if this team does get caught out. And the reality is it's going to happen, right? Even when you're Even when you're playing well. As we saw in the last World Cup, sometimes what happens is you just the ball a pass gets played wrong, a, a channel isn't run correctly. Suddenly the other team's on a break and your defense is left exposed. The reality is I don't know if they're going to be able to handle it this time, especially when, like you just mentioned, Otamendi has never been the most consistent defender himself. Fazio was taken away from Spurs because they didn't think that he would ever become a really solid defender. Now he's done well for himself at Roma, but very well to be fair. To be and, fair, yeah, he has, but. You just never know that that the dots start to creep into your mind. They certainly would for me. Javier Mascherano is still around, but you don't know if they plan to use him as a holding midfielder or try to play him as a center back. Maybe even try to run a back, a back three, a back five. It might, it might be a decent shout for uh, Coach Jorge Sampaoli. Sampaoli, Sampaoli. I don't envy he's, one bit. I will say that. I know I, it sounds easy to you know make a team around Messi, but I know it's not. It's not, and he's a, but he's a good manager. Um, I think a back three is a good option for them to not isolate those guys because. <laughs> Fazio's, like Di Michaelis before him, was just too slow to keep up with anyone. I would trust Mercado as a wingback. I'm not sure how I feel about Tagliafico. Or Rojo. Or Rojo as kind of the other wingback. I mean, you could do it, and I'm sure... Christian you know, Saldi, maybe. If, they, if they've been practicing, I'm sure they could probably pull it off. I just... It's asking a lot of those two players, too, because they will, for sure, have to be very solid defensively. And the reality is, Mercado's never really been known as a superstar defender. Tagliafico, on the other hand... A little bit more solid defensively. I mean, but Mercado, I think he played center back for Sevilla at times uh, this past year. Um, but they do have options like Eduardo Salvio and, um, well, and so Perez I mean, to play on the other wing back position. That does bring up an interesting point, though. I mean, we we do remember some of the solid Sevilla performances, but we've also seen them completely fall apart. I obviously realize that's not just one player's fault, but Mercado was there. Yeah. He's also, so he's been he's been on both sides of the wall, right? We can't focus on this. I don't want to focus on that Manchester United game because I think that that was kind of out of the ordinary for them. They had a pretty weak year, all things considered, defensively. So uh, it, it's going to be issues for them. And again, I'm going to I'm going to kind of look to Lucas Biglia to say, can he be a kind of defensive midfielder who who holds it all together? I know he can be more of a box to box guy, but the I mean, unless Mascherano plays defensive mid, he's going to have to be there. Or that defense is just going to get slaughtered. I would say Ever Benega as well. I think he could be a factor here. I don't know. I don't know how many minutes he will get. I don't know where he is with Sampoli right now. But he, I think he's a solid player. Very if they good do midfielder. Need to, if they need to solidify a game late on, I do think that you'd see him at some point. And he is a guy who can play ten. He's a guy who can play further back. I I would be surprised if he plays. He might play as a ten here because he's a good facilitator. Um, but the midfield isn't exactly strong, so he might be further back. We will see. Messi basically has the weight of the world on his shoulders. Fair or not fair, this tournament is going to be big for his legacy. There's no way to know if it's going to be his last World Cup or not. I mean, their defense is going to give up goals. It's a matter of, is Messi going to be the man who kind of takes the world by storm here? Yep. Ronda Iceland, everyone's favorite underdog in the tournament. I found the Icelandic call after the final whistle against Kosovo, actually. 
and it was nowhere near as exciting as the call from the 2016 Euros, but I did find it. So I picked the one against Austria for the European Championship. It's just so much more exciting. So yeah, like the emotion. We'll play that instead. If that guy's not at the World Cup, I'm going to be furious. So, someone's getting fired if he's not there. How could he not be there? That guy's excitement would just it would be amazing. So I hope he's there. Again, emotion is it's it's really big in the it's World Cup. And, so you know, no one will hear it until afterwards anyway, except for the people in Iceland. So it's yeah. not like it's hurting anybody. They're a great story. Let's let's put it what it is. They have the population compared to that of Corpus Christi, Texas, and yet they've qualified for this tournament. I mean, uh, I don't want to go too deep in depth with it, but they kind of however many years back, maybe a decade ago, decided they're going to put a lot of effort and money into their soccer program, built great facilities, got these, co- um, sent their coaches out to learn from the great European coaches, and look at them now. It's really paid off. I mean, outside of a few names here, this is a, a team of, I don't think, I mean, not nobodies, but it's a team of unknowns for the most part, but yet they've, they've made great runs. They keep runs. on going, right? They yeah. keep on going. They keep performing. It's hard to argue with what they've done. They're making the European Championship knockout stages and then defeating England in the round of 16. Then they topped a group that included Croatia and Ukraine in the UEFA qualifying stages. I mean, call it what it is, right? That's You can't argue with results like that. No. It, as, as much as I think that all that said, they want to pull this one last big surprise. I think it's really going to have to come down to Gilfie Sigurdsson, who they're worried about his, his form, his health. I, there's a lot of question marks surrounding whether or not he's going to be 100% ready to go. He's the engine that gets this team going, and is their creative force. And if he goes, they go. Otherwise, they'll be kind of defending for their lives with very little going forward. And look, far be it from me to question this team that has continually do- uh, defied all odds at every turn. But I, I just don't know if they can do it one more time. I, I, I think it's, I think Sigurdsson. He always find I, like with it's different with club and country for a lot of players. It's like Messi in Argentina, maybe not even Higuain to Argentina, not really being up to the fan standards. Sigurdsson's almost always up to standards with with, with Iceland. I would be surprised if he suffers a dip in form in this tournament. I, I do think they haven't really faced a monster like Argentina. Well, I was going to say that they played France in that next round, and France really kind of took them down. But they, they, I mean, yeah, they haven't really done it against a monster like Argentina. So that's kind of the the Goliath in that group. Iceland, I would think fair to say the David of the group, <laughs> uh, given their size. Um, but well, we don't know how that story ended, so they'd take it. Yeah, I mean, they'd take it, but... Um, this isn't uh, this isn't that story. This is a whole new story. And um, <laughs> I mean, we we did talk about Sigurdsson, but I mean, I I do want to th- look at. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Good Munson, uh, Johan Berg. Yeah. I've always just known him as Good Munson, uh, the Burnley winger. He was kind of Burnley's creative outlet this year, which I, so I know, he's used to this as well. I know we don't really see Burnley as a creative team, but um, hey, they're good. They had goals. They finished. They fin- They're in the Europa League next year. Yeah, so can't argue with that. Um, if if Sigurdsson, which I don't think he will, kind of falls apart, or even if he doesn't, this is going to be a guy who's important to that attack and getting goals. Sure, we have a question for you. Who is the only player on this team whose name doesn't end with Son? Uh, and see, here's the thing: is like this is the team of sons. Um, only one player. Twenty-two players have the last the word Son ending their name. I think I figured it out. He's a goalkeeper. But why don't you tell us here? Frederick Sham. Frederick Schramm, uh, backup goalkeeper, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we'll see. Maybe. I don't know. 
That, that's, tell. that's not something I but, know. I'm privy to, this, unfortunately. The trivia fact is who yeah. isn't named Son, yeah, exactly. not who's starting in goal. Exactly. Irrelevant. <laughs> who cares who's in goal? Um, I mean, Goalkeepers yeah, is, don't matter anyway. In, in tournament settings, I think playing as a team and playing as a unit is highly important. important. Um, Argentina, the most important thing Argentina we've kind of, over the years. Yeah, Argentina kind of team that can play as individuals sometimes. Same with France. This is not that team that's going to play as a bunch of individuals. A team that plays as a team, which is why they've had success. I can see them continuing it going forward. All right. Let's move on to Croatia. We mentioned them when we were talking about Iceland. They were in that group. The clip I have here is short, and I'm not 100% sure it's actually in Croatian. It lacks a lot of emotion, but this was after a nil-nil draw in Greece that followed a 5-1 beatdown, so I guess I can kind of understand why there was no real emotion after the final whistle. Yeah, not the most exciting one. I, I do apologize for that. Their starting 11 is one of the older in the tournament, so they've all been in these types of games before. Honestly, looking at their lineup, though, you'd likely think they were one of them, likely be more than just a dark horse, right? Yet, and I, I couldn't believe it when I saw this, they haven't been to the knockout stage of the World Cup since 1998. They always find ways to just fall flat on their face in these tournaments. And I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself here. I think they might do it again. Ooh. I hate to say it. Um... But we look at this midfield. This is probably the strongest midfield in the group, and that's a group with Argentina. Um, I mean, Luka Modric, one of the best midfielders in the world. Right. Uh, Ivan Rakitic. One of the best uh, midfielders in the world. One of the best midfielders in the world. Barcelona and Real Madrid kind of stars, people who kind of get that midfield going. With Iniesta gone at Barcelona, Rakitic is going to be massively important. Um Here's two guys who I think play on maybe 90% of the teams in this tournament. Mateo Kovacic and Marcelo Brozovic. Guys who are so talented, but I don't know if they're going to play. I honestly don't think they will. They're not going to displace Rakitic and, and Modric. Anything, anything is kind of possible in that midfield, you know, because, I mean, it kind of depends on the way they want to set up. You know, the, what we have listed here is kind of a 4-2-3-1. We'll see if that's kind of what they run with. It may be. The thing about them is that they have had struggles placing um, Modric, right? They, they he's They've tried to play him as a 10. That's not really where he plays for Real Madrid. He's definitely more of an 8 or even a 6. Guy who can kind of float around and pick up passes. He's, he's, you want you want him further back because, you know, you see his pass accuracy with Real Madrid and your jaw drops. But then you see it with Croatia. The fact is it's difficult placing passes as a number 10 because you're basically playing a lot of times the last ball and the last ball is the most difficult because everyone's looking for it. But he can play the last ball. That's the thing. He but can. I, but I don't see him as a guy who can, who's going to play between the lines um, like a number 10. The closest thing to that would be Brozovic or Kovacic. Um, maybe uh, Ivan Perisic, who can't leave out on the wing, is a guy who could play as a second forward. But... We know it's going to be Modric. We know Rakitic. The other guy who maybe isn't as well-known in that midfield, but is probably just as important, Milan Badel. Badeli. Badelish. Badeli. Something like that. There's a J at the end of his name. It's uncommon. <laughs> Give us a break. <laughs> Defensive mid, uh, player at Fiorentina. He's been there for a really long time. Uh, he's kind of the guy that allows those two guys to do their thing, but we haven't really seen them do their thing enough. Yeah, I mean, look, think about that, what I said about the 1998 thing. Think of all the teams that have made it to the round of 16 multiple times in that time. You're talking about some pretty rough-looking U.S. teams at the time. You're talking about Mexican teams that weren't always great in the group stages. Costa Rica. Costa Rica. I mean, the list is ridiculous, right? So the fact is I have entered a point where I think I just am wait and see with Croatia until they show me that they're capable of getting us out of a group like this. 
I'm not sure I'm going to believe that they're going to. They're talented, but again, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, yeah, they they are. They have um, Sima Virasalco too, one of my favorite right backs. Can play some quality balls in. He's gotten way better as a defender. I think he's still a little raw, so I thought it was interesting that his name is popping up in some big time transfers. I think he's still a year away from something like that. If they did, if you did want to consider him for a a bigger move, so to speak. Good player, Dayan Lovren at Liverpool. Much maligned. Uh, yeah, I think with decent reason. He's a guy he's kind of similar to Otamendi in that he has good plays in him. He's a solid defender at times, but he just is sometimes just absolutely horrific. And there's Mario Mandzukic, who, you know, he has his moments. And I think I've seen him kind of dip in and out. I think it's funny you mentioned him kind of among the defenders because he did play left wing back for this Juventus team last year. Uh, I'm assuming he's going to play forward. Play yeah. striker for the I, I wasn't mentioning team. him. Like I was just mentioning players. Yeah, I know. But it's, <laughs> honestly, I see, I see your point. It was. I think weird. it might be beneficial for them to, for them to play him there. That's what he's been used to. Um, that would. Be I would say their left back. Who who is it? Strinich. Yeah, yeah Strinich. Um, yeah. Not not a, take him or leave him. Take him or leave him. I think Manzuka is a better player. He's hard working. Left back though. I mean, if you saw him at Juventus this year, he had a really good year at left back, and that's basically all he played was left wing back. So that's absurd. But I mean, who, who, the problem is, who else are you gonna play up top? I exactly. Think you have um, Andre uh, Kramerich would probably be the the option. But I, I'm kind of a fan of Nikola Kalinic, um, the Milan center forward. I think he's a good number nine. Got good movement. He's was. I, I think it's fair to say bad for Milan this year. Yeah, um, I but, get, but I guess we'll kind of see, right? I mean, yeah. I think Mandzukic will be playing as the nine here. He probably will. I, I don't see why they would play. Ka- I mean, Kalinic was bad this year. I don't see why they're going to play him over him. The, the rest of their forwards are take him or leave him. Yeah. We move on then to the final team in this group, the team that won the jersey vote among most people, and I think on the show as well. I would. I'm gonna. We'll get to that later, but no, I don't oh, think so. Moses. Interesting. What I have here is the goal that would go on to win the game against Zambia for Nigeria and secure their place in the 2018. So Nigeria are an interesting team sort of in their own right. <laughs> Interestingly enough, the if you've been reading the Guardian like profiles on each team, you'll notice that they don't have a tactical analysis for them. Now, why this is, I don't know. Could be that they just didn't get a correspondent that wanted to do it. Could be that they had one and something was like horrifically wrong, so they had to change it. Not really sure. So just to give you an idea of where they are, I myself am familiar with Victor Moses. Now, he plays wing back for Chelsea, whereas for Nigeria, they use him as a, you know, in a forward attacking role. Just based on the formation I have here in front of me, it looks like in their last friendly they tried to go three five two, and you know using Victor Moses as a sort of a talismanic forward winger, very weird setup for me. And I know he's going to be playing in a forward role for Nigeria, probably more as a winger than a like a, a two striker setup where Victor Moses is sort of like the creative force underneath the striker. I, I look maybe I haven't watched enough Nigeria to say this, but. If if you're relying on Victor Moses to create for you, then oh my goodness, you are in deep trouble, because that man did not do anything offensively for Chelsea this season. Can we can we mention another former Chelsea? Well, this was another as a former Chelsea player, but another person who's a creative player for Nigeria, John Obi Mikel, who doesn't create anything. John Obi Mikel, when he plays with Nigeria, he scores when he wants. 
Oh, I, he scores when he wants. It's it's a good meme, but it doesn't doesn't actually happen that often. He wants. John Lucas was he, good for one screamer a season. But he's a he every five seasons. <laughs> he's, but he's the facilitator on this team. He was the he's a key player. And he was a defensive mid at Chelsea, whose only job is pass it sideways, win the ball back, pass it sideways. Here he's a creative player. Best job in the world. Um, he kind of has the benefit of having Wilfred and Didi. Lesser uh, replacement for Nagola Conte, who I think's been doing pretty well. He's no Conte, but he's had a good season so far. No, nobody is. So he kind of does have that ability to get forward. Uh, he may be more of a ten-ish at times, just maybe just more of advanced midfielder. But it is funny that Moses. I mean, he almost seems like a different player with Nigeria. Yeah, it is weird. Same with Mikel. It's weird. I don't know how that works. Uh, you know, outside of them, Ahmed Busa, 13 goals and 72 caps for the Super Eagles at just 25 years old. That's pretty a lot of caps actually for somebody who's only 25. He's been like kind of like a young prospect for a long time at CSKA Moscow. I would say now is the time for him to kind of shed that label, right? Because it's do or die now. Yeah, he's a FIFA legend if you liked pace. Yeah, and uh, that Leicester now hasn't really made a name for himself there. A good chance this time. Kalechi and Nacho, who left to Leicester City and also kind of had a so, yeah, interesting season. Three Leicester City players in this team with Ndidi, Musa, and Iki and Nacho. Uh, Ndidi, the only one who really kind of stepped up into that role there. Um, another one, uh, another attacker, interestingly enough, Alex Awobi. Yeah, he scored that winner that we had the clip of. Um, is gonna, this is going to be a breakout tournament for him. I know he's been playing a decent amount at Arsenal. I think he's going to get less time with when the fact that they had to Pierre-Emerick uh, Obama Young and Alexandre Lacazette. Um, I could sell him. <laughs> I mean, they bought both of them last year. But, it, I mean, yeah, it will be as a good season. Maybe he get, gets a good uh, price tag after this tournament. Yeah, I'm interested to see them because, I mean, it looks like under Gennat Rohr, they've kind of found some good form. Just their results lately have been pretty good. They, they've they shown a lot of like, just a fight, I guess. And, I mean, look, you can't discount Nigeria. They, they, a lot of these players have also kind of been here before. Yeah, and they are kind of generally seen as one of the better African teams. Very disciplined. Consistent, for sure. Very consistent. Never an easy game. No. But so I, that makes this group very interesting. But they're also, uh, I think, uh, kind of pretty weak at the back. Um, they don't really have many big-name players. Maybe it's unfair to say that they're weak, but that's not exactly their strength compared to up top. Right. So. All right. It's predictions time. What do you got? Uh, I really like this Croatia team. Uh, I think they could be fun to watch. Last World Cup. They had a really good game against Brazil in the first in the in the group A, but I don't think they're going to make it out yet again. I think it's going to be Argentina and Iceland. Ooh, so you're taking the Icelandics to get out of they, the group. Make they they to, play as a unit. Who do you? I mean, hey, uh, that's I mean, it, I respect it. it I, I absolutely. The, respect the first it. thing in the tournament, it's a very logical setup, pick. is keep a shutout, grab a goal, and you can. I think it's the team that's going to do it. Who do you have? I'm taking Argentina to win the group, but I'm actually going to take Nigeria. Set. I you know I kind of I think they're gonna finish last. It's it's a very real real possibility. So I'm definitely opening myself up to a big disaster there. I just I have a feeling. I don't you don't ask me why. Something about I like it. Their their form lately, the way they kind of got in there. Yeah. I, just something about them. I, don't know, I guess we'll see. Look, and here's the other thing too. I just think that you have a team like Iceland in the group who look he's gonna who's gonna do a lot of defending. The reality is. That Iceland could get sunk by goal difference because there is always the chance that let's say they run into a buzzsaw against Argentina and they lose four five nothing. It's a real possibility. I don't. Iceland is very talented, I agree. but the game can absolutely get away from you. And if the game gets away from Iceland, there 
they're not going to make up any goal difference from that point forward because they're not going to blow out either of Net Croatia or Nigeria. I'm going to posit you the other side of that. You have Croatia and Nigeria, two teams that aren't going to sit back and defend. It's true. Um, you, you run into the position of, oh, they don't know how to sit back. They give up the goal. They push forward. They push forward. They push forward. And then they concede goals. That's why I think our Iceland goes through because they're more likely of a team. Listen, they'll lose one nothing to Argentina. Okay, no big deal. But I think that they can absorb the pressure from Croatia and Nigeria, frustrate them, and get that one goal off a set piece from Gilfie Sigurdsson, which will be all they need. It's all very real possible. So that's basically it for this. That's it for Group C and D. Be sure to check out our other episode where we previewed A and B, as well as look out for our next show. We'll be covering Group C and F and maybe even talking about my first ever 4 a.m. shift. Yeah, I think you're looking forward to it, right? It's coming up pretty soon. Um, <laughs> uh. <laughs> there'll, be a, there'll be a couple of them, I think, with the whole Russia time zone thing. You would think. So exciting times coming. We're almost there. Thursday. Looking forward to it. First, we get matched Saudi Arabia, Russia. That's uh, all the time we have today on the American Soccer Show World Cup previews. I'm Emmett McConnell alongside Eric Alcantar. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher for all your American and World Cup so- soccer talk needs. Signing off.